Welcome to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. I was very excited when I heard the word that was brought to us during the service about um, seeing the church without a roof. And uh, way back in uh, 1996, when we were first called to the Berwick Church of Christ to be the pastor there, God gave me a very clear vision of a church without walls, that it, uh, it needed to be a church without limits. And um, I realized that that message is not just a one church or one denomination. That message is to the church in the city of Casey. And it's been wonderful to see how Larry and others have carried that vision on. And uh, it's great to be here. Um, Julie and I have just got back from a, a wonderful seven-week road trip up uh, into our, our north, up through Alice Springs, Darwin and Kakadu and all those wonderful places in our little caravan. And we've had a, a wonderful time. We just praise God that, that uh, at our age we can still uh, really enjoy um, good health and be able to do those things and see our wonderful country. It's just a magnificent country and you've not really seen it until you've been up north. So uh, Larry hasn't done that yet, so uh, we've got to get him up here, there, but, but yeah, it's a wonderful country indeed. In fact, I, we went up with two, two of my sisters and, and Julie's brother, who's the husband of one of my sisters, and uh, we, uh, we, I talked myself into climbing Kings Canyon, um, which is a, a four-hour climb, and uh, I was halfway up, and uh, as you can imagine, my legs were a bit wobbly, and I was sitting on a rock, and a guy, a young guy, about 40, uh, came up and uh, he was really puffing and and he looked at me and uh, and he said somehow he got around to saying how old are you <laughs> and I said well I'll I'll be 80 in on my next birthday and he said uh, shouldn't uh, shouldn't you be in an old people's home with a <laughs> in a rocking chair with a blanket over your knees <laughs> well maybe I should but I aren't and 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 want to give God the honor and glory for that. But not not only have we climbed a couple of mountains uh, in this uh, 80th year, but but I've had the joy of publishing a book. Um, I've been asked by people all through my ministry, are you going to write a book? And I said, well, I'm too busy doing it to write about it. <laughs> and uh, But now I'm not so busy, uh, and so I've written a book. And I just want to mention it for two reasons. One is that, uh, that uh, I believe God led us in the writing of this. Julie was part of that in uh, editing and helping me, but... Um, it's a book that explores the issues of fear and shame and anger. And everything I'm going to say this morning in the message is more deeply expressed and explored in the book. So we've got a few copies here. Um, it is available through Kurong and it is available uh, through uh, Amazon. Um, you can get it uh, as an e-book as well. 
And uh, so if you miss out today or you aren't able to get one today, you can get it. It's called When the Tiger Roars. It's not a textbook about fear or shame. It's not, it's not a help yourself book. It's, a, it's an allegory, uh, sort of like a C.S. Lewis allegory. And you're invited to explore those issues within the context of the story. So um, I commend it to you if you'd like it, like it, but do remember you can get it as an ebook, and uh, uh, that's a lot cheaper and a lot, a lot of young people are, are doing that. And, and if we get enough encouragement, if we feel that God is really using it, we're going to turn it also into an um, audio book as well. So uh, you might pray with us about that. Larry told me that uh, in the last couple of Sundays, I think, um, he has been talking uh, from a verse in uh, Romans 1 uh, that uh, talks where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And uh, when he, he mentioned that to me, I said, well, that, that really fits perfectly for me because I've been thinking I'd like to talk to you about shame and being ashamed. So in that context, I will do that a little later on. But I want to say that what Paul is talking about is he's not timid when it comes to sharing Christ with the world. That's what he's saying. I'm not timid to stand up and declare Jesus in the world I live. And, uh, and that's pretty impressive because Paul was a pretty impressive sort of a guy. He had been a persecutor of Christians. He was an academic. He had trained under Gamaliel. He was a very impressive man. And, and it wasn't until he met Jesus in that vision on the road to Damascus and God brought him down and, and brought him to himself uh, that uh, he'd become a Christian and now he was able to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And, and I thought about that and I thought, I wonder what the elements of this lack of being ashamed, this lack of timidity, what are the elements of that in Paul's life? And, and so I found three. The first one is his belief. He came to believe in Jesus. He came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He came to believe that Jesus was in the beginning before the creation of the earth. He came to believe that Jesus' uh, death on the cross was sufficient to pay for his sins. He came to believe that the Holy Spirit had been sent to dwell in his life. He came to believe that he was adopted by the Father. He came to believe that anything that he commanded in the name of Jesus would happen. He, he believed that, but he didn't just simply believe that in a, in a cognitive sense. He believed that enough to stake his whole life on it. And I, I pondered about that and I wondered about my own heart in that matter. I also believe all that. I also believe all that. 
in a cognitive sense. But am I prepared to step out in my everyday life and stake my whole life on those truths? And when I am confronted with the opportunity to take a stand for Jesus, when I'm challenged in a world that is so anti-God and anti-truth, does that what I believe give me the courage to proclaim Jesus? And I, I suggest you might ask that question too, because... It is possible, isn't it, to, to believe certain things, to believe the gospel, to believe the truth about Jesus, but not to be dynamically affected by that belief so that it affects the choices that you make and it affects the way that you live and it affects who you look to moment by moment for, for wisdom and knowledge and instruction. Well, Paul had no problem when it came to turning belief into action. And all through his letters, he's encouraging the Christians to whom he is writing to turn their belief into action, to let it impact their whole life in every respect. Well, then the second thing I thought about when I, I, I thought of Paul, was that, that he had no fear. He had no fear. Now, le, let me just ask you, if you were asked to define fear, how would you define it? Well, this is my try. <laughs> uh, my try at defining it, it would be to say that fear is the automatic reaction to threat. Right. Fear is an automatic reaction to threat. And fear, in that sense, is both a good thing and it can be a bad thing. Right? So, so if, if you go out to the car, car park uh, this morning and you are walking toward your car and suddenly you see between you and your car a man-eating tiger, you're going to cover the distance between the car park in here faster than Superman has ever dreamt about in his wildest dreams. And you would fly into this building, you would slam the door, you would slide down the inside of the door with exhaustion, and you would say, thank heavens for fear. Right? Because fear has enabled your body to pour adrenaline into your system at such a great rate that it saved your life. And fear often saves our lives. But if I came in here a year after that event and I found you still sitting inside the door, just where you were a year ago, you haven't moved for a year, you're sitting there and you're still trembling, and I said, what are you doing here? You would say, you would say, I saw a tiger in the car park 12 months ago and fear saved my life. But the truth is that fear has now destroyed your life, right? It's taken away your freedom. It's taken away your freedom to enjoy life. 
not the tiger. He didn't do that. Fear did that, right? Yes. And your inability to to rise above that fear. As we go through life, fear is introduced into our life in in many ways that need to be confronted. And some of us might need to admit that a great deal of the way we live and respond to others and react to others is 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 controlled by fear. Perhaps we've grown up in an environment where we have been made to feel inferior or insufficient or inadequate. And so as a result of that, fear has taken root in our lives and, and it, it impacts our lives all the time. Do you know what the common, most common disease in Australia right now, the most common illness that people suffer with in today's world? It's anxiety. Doctors every day right across our city are prescribing anti-anxiety medication to people. Do you know what lies behind many of the drug addiction and alcoholic addiction issues in our society? It is the feeling that I can't cope with life and that I need something to enable me to do that. It's the fear and anxiety with which I look out at life. Do you know how politicians get their own way? They just scare the life out of you, right? Fear is used to manipulate whole societies, whole cultures, whole generations. Well, what I noticed when I looked at the life of Paul and I read some of the things he said, I realized that he had taken what John had said in the scripture very seriously, that perfect love casts out fear. God has, has provided a way for you and I to be free from fear right now, this very moment without going to a psychologist or a counsellor, although sometimes that'll be helpful. But he's provided a way right now, and that way is that he has addressed the issues of humanity, the issues of the human heart. He has addressed them with perfect love. Perfect love. Well, what is perfect love? Well... I think Jesus told us that imperfect love was loving the people who would love us back, right? Perfect love has, has to be the opposite of that. That's loving the people who hate you and nail you to a cross. And Jesus, Jesus loved the world with perfect love. He loved me with perfect love. He said, Graham, I know all about you, but when I look at you now... I see that you are, be, you are totally cleansed in the precious blood of Jesus. You are clean. You are my child. You have nothing to fear. Isn't that true? And, and, and he's saying that to you today. He, he wants you to believe that. 
you are you can be free of fear there is nothing that can touch you that is outside of God's will and plan for your life you've got to be able to put your life in the hands of God we have to be able to do that and say God whatever is going on around me, whatever insecurities are in my world, whatever threats are in my world, I know that you love me, I know that you see me as pure and forgiven and, and, and cleansed. I, I know that and because I know that, I will live above fear. Now, I think that if fear has been an issue in people's lives, you don't just make that transfer from fear to non-fear by accepting a theological truth. You make that move by deliberately making a choice to meet every experience of fear and anxiety with the truth that you are God's child, that perfect love casts out fear. You've got to meet it with that. You've got to meet it head on with that. And then the third thing I, I noticed as I read the scriptures about Paul and his, his non-timidity about the gospel was that he uses the word I am not ashamed. Two or three years ago, I was taking a group of men, of 90 men for five weeks in a, a study around Christian manhood. And I got the men to explore in groups what were the most painful experiences experienced by men. Now, I made it men because they weren't experts on women, we you know that, so, but they should have been experts on manhood. So, so I, I asked them, what were the five most painful, what, what were the most painful experiences in the lives of Australian men? Do you know, do you know what came to the top? Shame. I was surprised. I thought that anger might come to the top. But I understand now that the reason anger didn't come to the top is anger is not a primary emotion. If you go into Genesis and you see the two painful emotions that are first mentioned in the Bible as being experienced by Adam and Eve, they are fear and shame. And everything else rises out of fear and shame. Anger is a secondary emotion. It comes out of shame and out of fear. And then I started to talk to some of these men and I started to think about my own life and I could see how, how the shame we carry is not the same as guilt. It feels the same. It acts the same in our lives, but, but it's not. Now, uh, now, I'll tell you why. I'll give you an illustration. If I was driving my car down a main road and I went through a red light, 
the first thing I would do would be to look around quickly to see whether there was a policeman there. Because if there was, he would pull me up and I would be guilty of going through a red light, wouldn't it? It, it wouldn't even matter if I didn't feel guilty. If I said, it's all right, constable, got it all under control. It wouldn't matter if I didn't feel guilty or feel ashamed. I am guilty because I've broken the law. Okay. But shame is something we carry not because of our own sins, but because of the sins of others. I may have told this story, but I, I was counseling a lady in her 70s many years ago who suffered from extreme anxiety and had, had um, required psychiatric help in a psychiatric hospital. She'd been ill for a long time. And uh, I asked her to tell me her story, and she told me that she grew up in a, a home where everything... So every time something happened to a mum, you know, a mum dropped the milk or, or did something in the house, she would blame her daughter and say, look what you have made me do. And this daughter grew up with this sense of being to blame for what happened in the family. And when the family, the marriage broke up, she, she took the blame, carried the shame of her parents breaking up. This shame grew on her so much that even as a 70-year-old, if she had turned on the television one evening and she saw that there had been a hit-and-run accident somewhere in Melbourne, she would ring the police and dob herself in. So much so that they charged her with being a public nuisance. <laughs> But she could, she, that's how neurotic she had become about this shame that she carried in her heart. Some of you, like, like me, um, experienced sexual abuse when you were children. And you know that for years and years and years, what you carry is not anger, so much anger toward your abuser, but a sense of shame about being abused that somehow the responsibility for the abuse has been placed by ourselves on ourselves and we carry shame. And that shame impacts every area of our life, including our timidity about sharing Jesus with the world. I want to tell you something. When Jesus died on the cross for your sin, the sins you had committed, he died for your shame as well. Not because your shame has to do with your sin, but because your shame will cripple you and rob you of health and wholeness for the rest of your life. And he died for your shame because he loves you and he wants to set you free. 
Some of you are sitting here right now thinking about your shame and you wonder what might help you live above it. Well, I want to tell you two things that will help you live above it. One is to know that Jesus has died for it already, that belongs to him. And that what we have to do is hand over our shame and say, Lord, I'm not going to carry this shame any longer. I'm not going to hide behind this shame any longer. I'm not going to punish myself with this shame any longer. You bought it. You have it. Right? That's the first thing. But the second thing is this. The reason we often carry shame, particularly because of abuse or other similar situations, is to is to prevent us from facing up to the pain of that abuse. You understand that? The pain of the abuse is that someone you trusted abused you, abused that. That's the pain. It's hard to live with that pain. So what we do with it is we transfer the responsibility for it to ourselves and that avoid, helps us avoid the pain. But I want to tell you today, Jesus not only died for your sin, but he died for every sin that's ever been committed against you by someone else. Right? Forgiving the person who has wounded us is not about condoning what they have done. It's about saying, it's about saying Jesus has already paid the price for what they've done. Do you understand that? It's so important that you understand that. Because you can face up to the truth without being destroyed by the pain when you know that Jesus has paid the price already. You don't have to pay the price for what happened. Nobody else can pay the price for what happened. It doesn't matter how, how repentant your abuser is. It does not pay the price for what happened. Nothing can pay the price for that. That is without other than the blood of Christ. And he has done that. And he set you free. And my prayer today, my prayer before I came and my prayer with um, the prayer meeting downstairs was that just as we sit here and ponder these things, you people in this room will be set free of fear and shame. You know if it's been a problem. You know if it's hassled your life. Right in this moment, by a step of choosing to believe that what God has done for you is complete, you can be absolutely freed. You can go out of this room today no longer dominated by fear or shame. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. Let's pray. As we bow together in prayer, I want to invite you to uh, 
to just respond to God in your own particular way. Some of you, many of you, I hope this morning we'll be able to pray a prayer like, Father, thank you that everything I need to be free of fear and shame and 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 self-blame, everything I need to be free of those things, I can find in your unlimited grace and forgiveness. And today I receive it. Maybe that will be your prayer. And then to thank him for the healing that he's brought to your life today. To be able to go out and say, I have lived under a burden of fear all of my life and today, up till today, and now I am free. I've lived carrying shame all my life up till today, but now I'm free. Freedom. Some of you will some of you will want to tell God that it's not an easy thing to let go of something that has been part of our identity for so long. But today, encouraged by his grace, we are prepared to to do that. To let it go. And to open ourselves to his infilling of peace and love and grace. Oh, Father. Father, you love every one of us in this room with an everlasting love. You don't want us to be bound by stuff that's happened in the past or fears that have infiltrated our lives and shame that has taken away our joy of knowing you and speaking about you. You don't want us to be bound by that. You want us to be free. You've done everything you can to make us free. You've cleansed us, you've forgiven us, you've received us, you've paid the price for sins of others against us. We want to thank you for that today. We want to praise you for that. We want to thank you for the newfound freedom with which we will go out into today and into the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.